I invite you to open your Bible now this uh, evening to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, uh, just a reminder, we are going to be uh, memorizing Psalm 139 this summer. And um, so next week in our service, uh, we will have a, a portion of the service where we will um, recite uh, verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 139. So that's uh, your assignment for this week with your family uh, to be um, studying and memorizing uh, God's Word here, Psalm 139. Wonderful, wonderful psalm. So let's read it together and then we'll open it up. Psalm 139, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts and knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. O that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. <clears throat> That's the Lord to bless. Oh God, thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit who speaks these words to us today. I pray, Lord, that you'd give us the faith to hear the voice of our Lord and Savior here and, and to love you, oh God, triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and to, Lord, deeply trust you and delight in being known by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 139 addresses... The, uh, the deepest longing of the human soul. You can't help but uh, long for certain things. Uh, you were made that way. And uh, the deepest longing of the human heart is to be deeply known and truly loved. Uh, one of the things that we're seeing in our digitally connected age, sociologists are pointing out, that uh, people are increasingly alienated and alone. They um, social media has proven to be a devastating, poor substitute for actual human relationships and engagements. Uh, Zoom meetings 
uh, might accomplish the business, but they, they, they struggle to build a team and to build society. A live stream worship in your living room, <clears throat> for those, and, and we've all tasted that this past year, it just cannot uh, provide the fellowship of the saints, the, the rich human engagement that is necessary for actual human flourishing. We need uh, relationships. We were created for intimacy. Futado in his commentary says, to have an intimate relationship with someone is a deep longing of the human heart, perhaps the deepest. To know and be known and loved is the soul's passion. Such a relationship is the heartbeat of Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is a psalm where David marvels at God's love and knowledge of him. This is a psalm that's full of wonder. As David tries to get his little brain around um, the incredible truth of, of God who, who knows him and loves him and cares for him in the most deep and intimate ways. Uh, this psalm is a wonderful reminder that the Christian life is not a life simply of Bible study and learning doctrines and attending church. Uh, the Christian life is at heart an intimate relationship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, learning doctrine and Bible study is important because we're learning about our God and what He and, and His love for us. Go, going to church and worship is important because we're spend we're worshiping God, communing with God, and spending time with our spiritual family. But you see, the the end game is not the doctrine; uh, it, it's not the religious activity. The end game, obviously, is the relationship, the intimate personal relationship with God. That is the essence of the Christian life. And the beauty of this psalm is that uh, it does not do what we normally do when we think about growing in our relationship with God. If, if you would go to the bookstore and, and pick up a, a book on how to experience the presence of God, um, it would almost certainly a book, be a book about advice on things that you ought to do. You ought to read your Bible more. You ought to pray more. You should fast uh, you should uh, uh, maybe uh, get, participate in some works of, of love and service for other people. All of those things are true. It's all excellent advice. But that is not what David writes about. You see, Psalm 139, in a sense, begins at the other end. Uh, is, this is not a psalm about what we ought to do or can do. This is a psalm that reflects deeply on what God does. It starts with what God does and for us, reflecting just on the, the, the way that he knows us and cares for us. And so rather than giving us advice, it gives us wisdom, it gives us insight, wonderful insight about things that we think about too seldom. Um, so as David reflects on what God does, the psalm is, is divided up in, in part, he starts in the first six verses talking about God's omniscience, God, what God knows. Uh, 7 through 12, God's omnipresence, is his every, he's everywhere present. Uh, 13 through 16, God's creative power, knitting him together in his mother's womb, his omnipotence. But notice that as, as David talks about these doctrinal truths, things that are true about God, he talks about them in a unique way, that the God that David is speaking of is just not God in the abstract, it is God in relationship with David. That's the God he knows, that's the God he marvels at. 
God in relationship to David. And so there's uh, so many um, personal pronouns here, right? Lord, you have searched me. You know me. You search out my paths and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. This is the joyful confession of God's children. That God is, is not a God in the abstract. He is God in relationship to you. God in relationship to me in Jesus Christ. And that, that God knows us and, and personally, uh, intimately deals with us. And so let's look at the psalm then together and marvel with our brother David. First, looking at God's loving knowledge. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. The Hebrew word here that is used for search is the word that's used for discovering something that's been, that's been hidden. It has to be unearthed, sort of like an archaeologist that's, that's digging and discovering and finding things that have long been hidden. Uh, the idea that David is communicating is that God knows David not by sheer omniscient ability. This isn't, this isn't just a cold fact, God knows everything. David is is saying, God, you know me by careful, loving study. God knows David the way a mother knows her her little child. Uh, Because he's constantly watching, constantly attentive, guiding, guarding, providing for David. So God knows David with this intimate, personal knowledge. And that knowledge extends to the entirety of of David's being. Uh, everything that, that David does and thinks and says, God knows, and the same for us, right? You know when I sit down. Such a little mundane part of your, of your life. God knows. And when I rise up, and you discern my thoughts from afar, God, God not only um, knows what you're thinking, which is uh, something to always remember, God knows what you're thinking, but he knows what you're going to think tomorrow. He's going to, he knows what you're going to think 10 years from now. He discerns your thoughts from afar. Uh, God, you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. There are no wrinkles in our, in our um, behaviors or, or, or manners about going about our day. Nothing that takes God by surprise. He's acquainted with all of it. And even before a word is on my tongue, O oh Lord, you know it all together. If you know somebody very well, um, from time to time, you will be able to have a pretty good guess as to what they will say in a certain context. Um, you need to be careful with that because it is far from fall- it's far from infallible knowledge. They might say something completely different, and people tend not to appreciate it when you finish their sentences. I know this from personal experience. <laughs> um, God knows our words, every word, before it's even on our tongue. And he knows it perfectly and infallibly. And, and again, because he studied us. He, he knows uh, everything that there is to know about us. So, so there is not a single solitary aspect of you, not your words, your thoughts, your actions, you're getting up, you're, you're, you're lying down. There's not a single aspect of what could be called you that exists outside of God's knowledge of you. You are completely known. By God. And again, that's not sheer information that God has. It is the loving, intimate knowledge of a mother with her child. So David feels cocooned by God's love for him. In verse 5, he says, You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. 
He feels cocooned by this loving knowledge, this attentiveness of God. Have you ever watched a father uh, teach a young child how to ride a bike? Um, there's attentiveness involved there, right? The, the father comes alongside and probably puts a steadying hand on the child, running alongside, giving constant instruction, guidance, uh, protecting them from falling over, harming themselves. Well, David says, God, you, you've done that with me. You've laid your hand upon me, upon my life, to, to guide and to guard, to protect, to keep me from falling, that I, that, that I might receive all that God has for me. That, that's what God has done for David. It's a wonderful, wonderful truth. I, I wonder if you have that sense. Have you ever just thought about how, did, how do you make sense of your life if it were not for the hand of God. I mean, the only way to, to make sense of how blessed you are is that, that God put his hand on you to guide you, to keep you from destroying yourself, to bless you in ways you could not imagine, to hold you up in, in hard, hard times that surely would have crushed you if you'd been left to yourself. You can't make sense of your life apart from the guiding, loving hand that God has laid upon you. It's, it's an amazing thought, an astonishing thought. And David is overwhelmed by it. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Why would God do this? Who would, who would imagine that the living God of heaven would care so deeply for you? And that he would be concerned to know you this deeply and, and to lay his sovereign loving hand upon you so that it directs your whole life. That, that, that the answer to how did you, uh, you know, come to this place in heaven? How, how is this possible? It's because my father lovingly laid his hand upon me and that made all the difference. <clears throat> David goes down in verses 7 through 12 to marvel at God's pervasive and persistent, persistent presence. Uh, just as there is no thing that God does not know about David, there is no place where God will not be with David. Uh, verses 7 through 10, Where will I, shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I go to Sheol, you're there. If I go as far east as I can go or as far as west as I can go, you are there. And again, you see... Um, the marvel isn't just that God is omnipresent, right? We know, we know that's true. There's no place where God is not in that sense. That's not specifically what David is celebrating. What he's celebrating is that God is everywhere present with David. That God is, is faithful to be with David and, and to carry out his loving purposes in David's life. Notice verse 10. Even there, wherever I go... Even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. That's the marvel. No matter where you find yourself in life, God will be there, faithfully there and powerfully present in order to lead and hold you. That's the beauty. This is the, the, the blessing when God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And we need to know this, particularly when life is hard, when, when the way is dark. Verse 11, surely the darkness shall cover me, the light about me be night. Have you ever felt the darkness of life, the pain of some great trial or, or of your own sin, just rises up and seems ready to swallow you up? 
I remember, I, I think I shared this maybe a year or so ago, when I was um, just dealing with some anxiety about growing older and um, noticing that I'm, I'm forgetting things. And what, if, what, if, what would it be like to have dementia? I was just talking to someone recently whose mother has dementia. Um, what, an, what, a, what an awful darkness that is. What about if we can't remember things? We can't remember our loved ones and we can't remember even God and we're just in the dark. Well, David, the uh, Lord brought me to this psalm and, and it was just such a comfort to me. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day for the darkness is light with you. See, God is present even in the, in the dark and, and, and he sees everything perfectly in the dark. And no matter what, uh, where our path goes, God will always see us, always be there, always caring for us. We will never, ever be in a place where God is not there in, in all of his infinite love and all of his saving power. That's an amazing thing to be able to say. Do you, you have fears about the future? There's not a single moment in your future where God will not be there with all his loving grace and saving power. That's what David is rejoicing in. That's what he's celebrating. And he, he, he goes back, uh, as he thinks maybe about the future, what might happen to him, he looks to the past, to what has already happened to him. God's precious creating power. Verses 13 through 16. Uh, he, David rejoices at the thought of being individually, personally crafted, knit together by the hand of God. You formed my inward parts. See, not just the doctrine of creation. God made everything. God made me and knitted me together. In my mother's room. Uh, the theory of evolution tells you that you are uh, nothing but a random accident of time and chance. And uh, your life has no significance, no ordering purpose. Your life has no inherent meaning. Uh, that is what is believed, right, in our world today. It's no wonder people are so depressed. That's a devastatingly depressing idea. The Word of God tells a, a wonderful different story. This is a story that um, tells us that God has designed in his mind and has crafted by his hand you. Your body is not an accidental collection of cells. It's not just the product of your parents' DNA. It was purposefully created, crafted, knit by the hand of God. You were. You were. Not just people. You. <clears throat> and so David says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. David can't help but respond. It's an amazing thought. I am not an accident. You're not here uh, just by random chance. God knit you together. And David rejoices in that truth. And he, and he uh, delights in verse 15, the fact that he was known and loved before he was born. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. When you were just a tiny little embryo in your mother's womb, God knew you, God saw you, God was knitting you together. Donald Williams rightly points out in his commentary that this verse is, he says there could be no stronger statement concerning the sanctity and dignity of the unborn child that is given in this verse and its context. Uh, unborn children are known by God. They matter to God. They're, they're his craftsmanship, and, and to destroy them is a grievous, horrifying offense against God. And we need to remember that. We can get numb to uh, the reality of abortion. 
But, but this, this psalm treasures, delights in God's creating presence in, in the womb. And, and that all of his days, David realizes, were known to God. Verse 16, he says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. That God is writing the story of your life, not you, not your accidents, your mistakes, your failures, uh, not, not the circumstances of your life. God himself is writing the story of your life, and he knows all the pages. He numbered them before your life began. There will be nothing accidental about you or about your life. It's an astonishing concept. We are known, thoroughly, wonderfully known. And once again, David exalts, verse 17, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. How precious to me are your thoughts, God's thoughts towards us. Isn't it precious that God thinks of you, that God, that God knows you, He's, He knows everything about you. He's ordered your life, that you are safe in, in the sovereign knowledge and love of God. I, I hope that the, the thoughts of God towards you are deeply precious to you. And, and what will happen when, when, you, when we begin to get a sense of um, the marvel of God's care for us, it's going, to, it's going to make us care for him. And that's what you find in verses 19 through 22. Uh, the psalm seems to take an abrupt and unpleasant turn. When David says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I, I, I hate them with a perfect hatred. And we're, we uh, maybe wonder what to do with those words. It doesn't sound like Christian language. Well, I just want you to note a couple things to help us understand this. You see, after marveling at God's greatness and goodness towards him and delighting in God, treasuring God's thoughts, David cannot help but desire that this glorious, great, good God would judge those who hate him and wantonly desecrate his creation and speak evil against his name. So, as Williams points out, David's strong reaction is not against sinners. His, he's not a self-righteous judge who will not stain himself with, this, with the world. His reaction is against those who would revile God's name. So if you have your Bible, notice what David says about uh, these enemies of God. They're wicked men, not, not just your normal sinner, but the men that are set purposely against God. They are men of blood. They, they wantonly destroy the lives that God has created and crafted. Verse 20, they speak against God with malicious intent. They're not ashamed of their hatred of God. They take his precious and holy name in vain. They hate God, verse 21. And they rise up against him. Uh, if, you were, uh, if you were a fan of, of a particular artist, you, you just loved... The, this artist and, and the scenes that they painted, maybe there were particular uh, paintings that you just found tremendously, um, just soul-stirring. They, they were precious to you. And then you saw someone come along and begin spray painting over top of it or, or taking a knife and ripping it up and doing it with gladness. Uh, you, would, you, would, you would feel a strong emotion of revulsion 
That, that this person could be this, this evil. If you love your husband or your wife or your children, um, you will have a strong response to those who intently uh, delight in bringing harm to them. Great harm to them. Well, David loves God. And David has a revulsion of the soul against those who maliciously seek to harm the name of God and to harm the creation of God. David has a hunger for God to be worshipped and adored as is his right, and so he counts God's enemies as his own. This is very similar to what James says in James 4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? We do live in a world that, that hates God. And so um, we, Dave, James says, don't be friends in that sense with those who hate God. This is an issue of loyalty. Who are you committed to? Is God precious to us so that we take, uh, we take a stand with him and for him? And the fact that David is not just self-righteously pointing fingers at bad people is proven when he asks that God would search and examine him. Verse 23, search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a big prayer. Search me, God, know my heart, expose it. Show me what's there. There's some really ugly stuff there. Deep, deep idols, um, wicked, selfish, perverse desires, uh, a, a, a brazen commitment to seek out our, the glory of our name rather than the glory of the name of God. Why would David want to see this, this stuff? Why would he want God to expose it? Because David knows that he's a sinner as well, and, and David wants his life to honor this glorious God who's loved him and known him so well. He wants, he wants the sin gone so that in every part of his life, he, having been known and loved, will be able to serve and glorify and enjoy this relationship with God. And so he prays the prayer. There's an old gospel song rendition of this verse that goes like this. Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, my Savior, if in sin I stray. See if there be any wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. That's a beautiful prayer. Search me, O God. For you just on your knees before the Lord, say, Lord, just expose the uglies. Expose the sin that I might confess it and be freed from it and, 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 and live then enjoying your presence. That is Psalm 139. It's a psalm of intimacy with God. What if we don't desire what David desires? What, what, what do we do if, um, if, if our heart just feels unmoved by these thoughts of God? What do you do then? Well, again, I think that's the beauty of Psalm 39 and how it can be a great help to us. Because notice David's prayer here, search me, know me, lead me in the way everlasting. It comes at the end of the psalm, not at the beginning. It's only after David has reflected deeply upon what God is like and what God has done for him and, and how God cares for him that, that David has this deep desire to be made like him. There's almost nothing that, that can awake your soul to God more, um, more richly or powerfully than just, Thinking on God. 
than thinking about what he's like and, and, and going through a psalm like this to consider how personally he's cared for you, how kind he's been to you, how patient has God been with you. And what is, think of the amazing things that God has done for you and continues to do for you day after day and all that he's promised to you. You see, only after reflecting on, on, the, on the reality of God, that, that, that moves David and it will move us. And if, if David was thrilled by all the goodness of kindness to God a thousand years before uh, our Lord Jesus ever walked this earth, how much more, friends, uh, can we, now knowing all the love and grace poured out upon us in Jesus Christ, and knowing what God was willing to do for you, you personally, in his son Jesus, how much more should we not marvel? How precious to us, O oh God, are your thoughts that you would think on, on us, on, on me this way, knowing exactly everything about me, every, every wicked word, every vile thought, every, every sinful deed, that you would send your son Jesus Christ to die for me, to give his perfect obedient life for me, so that Jesus could say, I am with you always. I will never leave you or forsake you. That's what our Lord Jesus has promised us. Jesus is making us, just like God created David in his mother womb, Jesus is remaking us as new men and new women who will inhabit an everlasting world. It's Jesus who leads us on the way everlasting. And I would encourage you, if your heart is just slow towards the things of God, dull, dead maybe, reflect on God and, and, and read a psalm like this and let the Lord speak to you Read it in light of the gospel, all that God has done for you in Jesus Christ, and let the Spirit then move you to worship, uh, to praise, and to be led in the way everlasting. May God grant it. Amen. Father, we thank you for your care for us. How, how vast and high are your thoughts towards us. Father, it's an amazing thing to be this deeply known and not condemned. To be this wonderfully cared for, not cast aside. Our lives, Lord, sometimes feel out of control, and yet, Lord, they never are. And sometimes we feel far from you, and yet we, we never are. For wherever we go, Lord, you are there. And Father, I pray that this knowledge would be with us this week as we go to work, as we go to school, as we as we live the life you've given to us, we have a deep abiding sense that God, you are there. And you're there to lead us and guide us and protect us. You're there to lead us in the way everlasting. We are known and loved every single day. It is an astonishing thing to be a child of God and to have a heavenly father like our father and a loving savior like our Jesus and a precious spirit who, who has come to live with us to make all these things eternally true. And Lord, if there are any here tonight who do not know you this way in truth and never have, I, Father, I pray you'd help them to see that by turning to Christ and, and seeking you while you may be found, Lord, they will find you and find you to be all that you say you are here in Psalm 139. We pray, Lord, you'd bless us as we study and memorize this psalm and that the truths just become more and more rich. 
and, and uh, empowering and transforming in our lives, that we would be Psalm 139 people. And we give you the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close uh, by singing together Psalm 139, All That I Am, I Owe to Thee. Let's stand together and sing. of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you and abide with you all till Christ come again. Amen.